Welcome to Winning Is Not Everything, where we bring sanity back to youth sports by focusing on character development, effort, and sportsmanship, not rankings and trophies. I'm your host, Sean Jensen, former NFL reporter, children's book author, and youth sports coach. How does an American coach end up featured in a popular comic book and on Japan's top children's TV program? It wasn't easy, and it didn't happen overnight. But stick around to hear this amazing story. Team Snap is the presenting sponsor of the Winning Is Not Everything podcast. Start your 2024 sports season off right. The Team Snap for Teams app provides the tools you need to manage your team with ease. This includes the all-new fundraising feature, which makes raising money for new equipment or your next tournament simple, built right into the TeamSnap app. Or maybe you run a full league. From registration to scheduling to helping you build your club's website, TeamSnap for Business has the tools to take your programs to the next level. Learn more about all of TeamSnap's solutions at TeamSnap.com. Tom Beyer was the first American to play soccer in Asia, signing for Hitachi FC in Japan in 1986. Though he didn't shine on the field as a player, he fell in love with the country and the culture, and he wanted to stay. With his skill, wit, determination, and resourcefulness, Tom carved out a niche, helping young footballers in Japan develop and improve, though it was hardly easy. So how did he do it? Let's find out. We're going to jump in as Tom shares about a boy he worked with whose father was a top executive at a company that provided Tom his big break. Let's get to it. I have no idea where he is or what he does, but he has no idea how he changed my life and how he actually changed Japanese football because the amount of work and things that I've done here, it all started with that. And I'm not yeah. so sure I'd be in Japan if I hadn't gotten that break, to be honest with you, because I couldn't feed myself. Right. I didn't have any money. In those days, after I was done playing, I used to go home, I'm not kidding, and I would take my jeans and I would shake them. I'd like, I'd be searching for coins. So yeah. this was my big break with Nestle. Yeah. And then I, I went in and I walked in and I came out of a meeting having agreed to doing 50-5-0, 50 events starting in 1989. I had no idea how I was going to do it, but I figured it out because I stayed with Nestle for 10 years. And that was my break. That is incredible. So, yeah, that was that was my how I got into Japan. And then I got some other lucky breaks as well. I got another TV show. I had just so many other things that happened, but you kind of create your own luck as well, I guess. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've been very fortunate with how my life has turned out. And it's still turning. It's like, you know, when you get older like me, I'm an old guy. I'm 62 mm -hmm. years old. And so there's a saying, you know, you've got more yesterdays than tomorrows. But let me do this. I wake up every morning, every morning, and I feel like I have way more tomorrows than I had yesterdays. Mm -hmm. And because everything I'm doing, even currently today, I still feel like I'm just scratching the surface. I love the excitement and passion that you have for it. But when was that moment? Can you recall that moment, maybe in the early clinic with Nestle or whenever, when you were engaging with the kids and you just felt like, this is what I want to do for a very, very long time? Because again, when you're just starting out and you're struggling and you're not sure how you're going to be able to stay and make a living, but at what point was it when you had that experience where the light bulb went above your head and you said, this is it? Well, you know what problem with that question is, 
I've had many of those moments. Yeah. You know, and this is the one thing I've learned about Japan and the culture is, is that you never really quite arrive at that destination. It's that kind of journey that you go through, right? And I keep thinking, well, it can't really get any better. You sometimes think it can't get any worse as well, right? But it can't get any better. But I got to just tell you, just like, and that's why I said the point about like, when I wake up every single day, there's something that happens. It's just constantly evolving. And I think if once you figure out your purpose in life or you, you really have a purpose-driven life of what it is that you want to do, these moments seem to come quite a bit. But you're right. I mean, back in those days when I was doing these bits, these were huge events. I mean, I was like thrown over the cliff. I mean, I'd get in front of like several hundred Japanese kids. Yeah. And I stuck to this to, to this very day. My business mentality was is that I always tried to surround myself with people who could do things I couldn't do. There's a lot of people in business and in life in general that don't want to be surrounded with someone who's better than them. But no, I'm always seeking the room. I always just say, my favorite saying is, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. No, you're right. I'm always looking to try to find, I consider myself an, an A-level guy at what my knowledge is, but I'm always searching for the A-plus guy or woman or whoever it is. I mean, but Tom, you're literally a superhero because you were featured in comic books in Japan. I mean, that's pretty incredible. <laughs> Actually, now when when you say that, another <laughs> real big aha moment was when yeah. my television producers created an animated cartoon character of myself that I have. I use it quite a bit now. It was the opening of my TV show, and I come out and I'm dribbling a ball. It's an animated figure of Tomsan, me, the character, yeah. and then I hit the ball up in the air, and then I do an overhead bicycle kick. And then it breaks to me in my real person picture with my Japan national team uniform on. And so when I saw that too, for the first time, I was blown away, obviously, yeah. right? To see yeah. that, you know, yeah. to, to be characterized yeah. and have, have an animated figure made out of you yeah. in like the country in the world that's like the leader of animation and manga and have two pages in Japan's number one manga comic book with 1.3 million copies per month. Every week, every issue, I've got two full pages. So that was, yeah, I mean, that's overwhelming to almost to a certain degree because when they made the TV corner too, they named it after me, calling it Tomsan Soccer Techniques. And this went from, you know, yeah. when I got casted on a TV show, I thought, well, this is great, man. I'll be on a couple times or like, you know, half a year. No, it went for 14 years every single day or weekdays. So that was, uh, you know, a really wow. defining moment for me. And Tom, I think one of the great things I love about your story is it didn't happen overnight, right? When you started working in Japan, the country was awful. I mean, they couldn't beat anybody in Asia, let alone anywhere else in the world. And day after day, week after week, month after month, as you are sort of encouraging and getting kids excited about getting their touches, about mastering, you know, the ball and, and developing the technique. And then year after year, you start to see some players start to show some potential. What year was it into all this when with your U12 team, you started to see better results? When was that breakthrough where you saw that encouragement to say, hey, I think we're getting there? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, because Japan was, if you look at the results at the national team World Cup level, they were quite pathetic back in the day, even be way before I came, right? And I arrived in the mid 80s. 
They still were struggling. They couldn't beat China. Korea would always beat them as well. And then I'd have to say that there's a couple of turning points in Japanese football, actually. With the birth of the J-League, even before that, they were starting to come on in the early 90s. So I don't think that I can sit here intellectually being honest and say that they were on a pretty good trajectory, put it this way. I think the work that I was involved with supercharged that, and it definitely set them up for being more strategic in their approach and also focusing more broadly where, you know, most countries, they're obsessed with elite player development. They build these multi-million dollar facilities. They hire the big name coach from Europe or South America, and they put their money into the very top 1% or less that have become professional. And so I think Japan was doing okay in the, in the 1990s. But surely, I mean, even if you look at today is when I really can start to confidently connect the dots and see the threads today. Here's a good way. When I first came to Japan, we had really good players in Japan already, but there were few of them. Okay. There were few of them. We knew that when we watched a game, a national team game, the starting 11, we knew exactly what we were going to get. But then we knew that the guy coming off the bench was going to be worse than the guy that they replaced him because that's just the way that the game used to be in those days. Today, fast forward, and this you see at the professional level too, at the premier level, every single game, you don't know who the starting 11 is going to be. You don't know. Because when you have such depth, that's when coaches can really, really zero in on putting a team together based on how the other team's going to line up, based on what the workload had been, on how much that player might have played in the last game. Because these players are interchangeable. But you can only interchange players where the level's not going to go down. In fact, it usually goes up because you've got fresh legs coming off the bed. You can only do that when you close the gap between the very best and worst occurs. And Japan's done that. Yeah. So now I can confidently sit here and boost and say, there's absolutely no doubt that the work that we started out doing 30 years ago, we see it now. We see it. And not just on the men's team, it's on the women's team as well. It's everywhere. Players that, that have come to our programs, yeah. when I say our, our programs, it's not just that they came to our schools because we had in the last World Cup in Qatar, number six, number eight, number 10, they all came from our schools. These are the key positions starting 11. The captain of the current national team, Wataru Endo, he's from our schools. So when I see this, I can clearly see now. And But the funny thing is, I don't know who those players are until they come and they tell us because there's so many thousands of kids that have come to our program now. In our schools, there's over 20,000 kids now, and it's been going for 30 years. So kids that have been influenced watching the TV corner, reading the comic book, purchasing our best-selling DVDs or VHS videos or our books or coming to our events, you know, that I've done half a million kids for. You don't know, but that's the brilliance in it. When you basically have everywhere you look in Japan, it's, it's the same message. You want to be a good football player, it starts with the technical skill development. That's culture. So we've built a culture now. And what is culture? For me, culture is defined as a group, a community, a family, an organization, a country, whatever it is that shares the same values and beliefs. And in soccer and football here, the, the shared belief is if you want to be a good player, start for ball mastery. That's it, man. Start for ball mastery. I mean, yeah. what a simple premise that is. 
And Tom, as I told you, growing up in Korea, which is one of the most homogenized nations, and you know that as well, in Japan, that's one of the big challenges for why your methodology would be very difficult to work in the United States. Right. Because again, in Japan, because it's a homogenous country, because of the sample of success that you've shown and because of the tactics and the things that it takes, the discipline to do this on a daily basis, those are things that are countercultural to what makes America America. Right. We want shortcuts. Right. We want our kids to play a bunch of different sports. We don't want kids to start touching the ball too early, doing practice at the age of dare I say, two, three years old, right? And, and again, in Korea and Japan and China, they're all for it. Oh, wow, you have a program for a two or three-year-old? Our kids will start right away. But here, that's like considered like abuse, you know? So, so tell me, Tom, you are an American, Tom. And it's the same thing that I've had the same conversation with Todd Bean, who's done incredible work in Spain. You are an American. I know you would love to be able to greatly influence taking this decades of methodology and mastery that you've developed and clearly implemented in one nation, and now you're working with China as well. But what are some of those biggest obstacles that you see as an American for not being able to get that same buy-in in our country? Great question, and I've got a great answer for it. So first of all, you're right. I always say that in most of my interviews is that, first of all, I'm a culture warrior. So I understand the cultures are completely different. Culture accepts, first of all, in Japan here and in Korea as well. Culture accepts that when you're a child at the age of six, global standard crossover line into organized play, that he or she is going to be required to attend training sessions at least four or five times a week as a six-year-old. And those training <laughs> sessions are going to last two to three hours. On the weekends, that could be half a day or a, day, a full day. So that, you're right. I mean, they would put you in jail in America if you were to take a six-year-old and, you know, obviously be training like four times a week or five times a week with these very long training sessions. So that's a barrier to get around, right? Yep. So what I've found, though, in the last several years working in America, and I've done a lot of work there. I spent four years recently. I just got off the end of a four-year contract with the Houston Dynamo of MLS, where we put a, a very robust kind of soccer starts at home program in play. I backed up using, we, I just got done off the know, but I just got done with a two-year research project with the University of Houston as well, where they actually studied our program. So I've got a different approach for the U.S. market, at least, because you're right. It's completely different than it is here, Asia. So it's not enough to go. I can't sit here and put it this way. I can't sit in a room with 500 parents and convince them to put their kids in a soccer program because soccer is great. Soccer is the number one sport in the world. But now I can sit in a room with 500 parents and convince a lot of them. And again, we're talking about the youngest ages, these playing around, you know, my whole program is, is focused on parents of three, four, five, six year olds. But now I can sit and convince a lot of these parents to put their kids in a program like this because we're going to make your kids smarter. We're going to make them with better focused attention, better memory, better. And so that's a whole new world that we're entering into now. There is a massive, massive byproduct to practicing this whole concept of ball mastery that's much, much, much bigger than a soccer program. 
Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Winning Is Not Everything. Please make sure to like the podcast and subscribe to the podcast so you can immediately get the latest episode. If you have any questions or comments, please visit my website, seankjensen.com, and go to the contact page. You can even leave me a voice recording. And of course, I want to thank my presenting sponsor, TeamSnap. Whether you're coaching a team or running a full club or league, TeamSnap has the solutions and the technology to keep you organized this year. Until next time, I'm Sean Jensen.